Truth and Love, part 2. And our passage is 2 John, verses 7 to 13. So we find ourselves in the middle of, of a series called Short Letters, based on the four single chapter epistles in the New Testament. Last week we spoke on the importance of truth and it is a theme that is repeated in all of these short letters. So our first point was that we need to know the truth, the importance of it. And we spoke about the the difference, understanding what is a fact and what is truth and how the loose bricks are brought together in truth and the ultimate truth is, of course, Jesus Christ. And then the second point was walking in obedience to the truth and apply it in love, in obedience to God and apply it in our relationships with one another. Our relationships have to be based on truth, otherwise there is no trust. What's the point of loving if you can't trust somebody? If you can't trust them, it's pretty hard to love and to actually have a relationship. So our relationships have to be based on truth. This morning we look at the the second part of 2 John and what it means to protect the truth and finally our fourth point will be the need to share it. But firstly let me share a story from history. The Great Wall of China is one of the seven wonders of the, of the world. It's one of man's finest engineering achievements. I don't know if any of you have, have been there. I haven't, but it's there. It is over 2,000 years old, is 21,000 kilometres long. That means that if it was... Australia, it was in Australia, it will be right around the the coast of Australia. That will be the Chinese wall, our perimeter, circumference. And it took 200 years to build. Some 70,000, before COVID, some 70,000 visitors would see this engineering marvel every day. And because it is still standing, it is still solid, standing and nothing like it will ever be built again. And the wall was thought up by the, the key uh, state lord to keep out invaders from the north. Over time, other royals and chieftains kept the construction project going, thinking it was the most effective tool to safeguard China from pillaging looters but he proved a colossal failure. During the first hundred years of the wall, the Chinese were invaded three times. Villages were unable to travel between towns for fear of robbers, looters. But interestingly, because the wall was so well built, none of the attacks were the result of a break in the wall. Instead, invaders snuck in by bribing guards and were able to just walk through the doors. So while the physical structure of the, of the Great Wall held up, human character 
didn't. And we can spend a lot of our times building structures and, and trying to put this, protect ourselves physically in one way or another, whereas the enemy has other ways to sneak through. And we live in dangerous times today and Satan never rests. Yes, there is certainly opposition from outside and we can, sometimes we can visually see them, who they are. They tell us they hate us. But history has proven time and again that the more sinister and destructive element is actually from within. And this has been the church's greatest challenge ever since its inception. For this reason, it is important to, our third point from 2 John is to protect the truth, verses 7 to 11. This is what it says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. The reason for so much attention given to truth and and to, to live it out, the exhortation to live it out in obedience to Scripture is the very real danger which existed then throughout church history and exists today is the damage caused by false doctrine, heresy, spread by false teachers. And because of this, John and the apostles saw it as one of their primary tasks to defend the truth, protect the truth, warn people about the dangers, protect the churches because of there was beginning this onslaught of heresy. Now John wasn't really worried about offending when he wrote, about offending sensitive hearts when he calls these particular false teachers, deceivers and antichrist. Not very nice, is it? But he just called it what it was. What was so destructive about their teaching? In essence, they were denying that Jesus had come in the flesh. They said that 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 which was divine Spiritual could not become material flesh, physical. His body, when Jesus came, it was just an illusion. He just seemed human, but he wasn't. There was, therefore, there was no incarnation, there was no birth, there was no life, there was no death, there was no resurrection. We could call them the first century progressive Christians. They viewed with, and they in turn viewed with disdain, the conservatives. 
those whose faith was built upon the truth handed down from the apostles. And as we already read some of the epistles, some of this stuff was already creeping in. Some of the first challenges was, of course, regarding Judaism and the, how that, what are the things that we will keep, circumcision and the other things, some of the practices as Christianity started to, to take strength. But here it's, it's different. Um, there would be many heresies that would continue to emerge. But this is one of the earliest ones that, that eventually came to be known as Gnosticism. And the term comes from the Greek word gnosis or knowledge. They claim to have secret knowledge beyond that possessed by ordinary Christians. These, this word Gnosticism is still around. I, when mum and dad lived in Woiwoi, I went to the shops and there were three shops, one next to the other, different aspects. They were called Gnostics. Gnostic shops. You know, you get your crystals and your perfume and your essence and your rocks and all that stuff, you know. You know what I'm talking about. But they claim to have secret knowledge beyond that possessed by ordinary Christians. They were special. And they went around, how were they special? Because they told people that they were special. Today we might call it that they told everybody that they had a special anointing or a a secret word. A secret word because they have this connection to above that nobody else has, that only a few chosen privileged ones receive. Now it's difficult to describe Gnostic beliefs because they were flexible and, and, and like a sponge they absorbed ideas from many different religions. They, they were the original New Age movement, really. And, and the Gnosticism that plagued the early church was an amalgamation of Persian, Egyptian, Jewish and Christian ideas along with Greek philosophy. And, and many actually identify Simon Magus, who is mentioned, whose name is mentioned in Acts chapter 8, as the first Gnostic. Now, as with many Greek philosophers, Gnostics said that spirit is good and matter is evil or bad. But the scriptures never say that matter is evil. Yes, creation is presently fallen, but God made everything good. And all of creation is waiting for its redemption. Now in their view, because in their view, because matter is bad, then Jesus it was impossible for Jesus to take on human flesh. This is why John goes straight for the jugular, by declaring anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh as going against all that Christ accomplished in his birth, life 
death and resurrection. In fact, going against Christ is the Antichrist. And then comes the warning. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully, in verse 8. Now here it is not referring to losing one's salvation because that is not possible, because it is, it is impossible to work for it and it is not possible to lose it. Salvation, true salvation, is a free gift, not a reward for our performance. Forgiveness and heaven are gifts granted to us because of God's great love and His great mercy. But it's possible to lose your reward. The Lord Jesus gave a warning to the church in Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. This is what He said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. If believers are led astray by false teachers, they are in danger of forfeiting their reward in heaven. Now this brings me to this often ignored doctrine of rewards in heaven, which is mentioned in the Bible multiple times, but it's still not everybody agrees. Not, I won't say that there is uniform agreement among scholars, conservative and otherwise, on the nature of rewards. Because they would say, well, why do we need them? Won't being in heaven be enough? Won't be there, being in God's presence for all of eternity, isn't that enough for us? Why do we have to talk about rewards? Well, one important reason for the rewards is, is that Jesus shares his rewards with us. Romans eight seventeen, And Jesus does promise different kinds of reward for every deed done in his name on earth. This is what he says in Revelation 22.12. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Big topic, more than what we can cover this morning, but... The rewards we gain in heaven are not like the rewards we earn here on earth. We, we tend to think in material terms like, what's going to be my reward? You know, mansions, jewels. But these things are only representations, something that we can understand as humans, of, of the rewards that we will gain in heaven. A child who wins a local soccer trophy does not do it for the value of the trophy itself. It's just plastic, right? You know, you've collected those trophies. Look, mum, look, mum. It's not the value of the trophy itself, but what that trophy represents. The fact that, you, hey, you're the best player, you've won the championship, you've, congratulations. But because it, materially, if it was solid gold, then it wouldn't be lost in the storeroom, right? Because you've all collected these trophies over the years and then, oh, what was that? It's because it's not worth but it's good to somehow discover it or open that old closet or 
treasure chest and find, oh, yeah, I remember that. But you see, any rewards we gain in heaven will be precious to us because they carry the weight and meaning of our relationship with God. Because they will remind us of what he did in and through us on earth. It's reward for service in his name. Those things that we did in his name that nobody else saw. You know what Jesus said, right? That the moment that you, if you expect people to be thankful to you, what happens? They say, thank you very much. Guess what? You lost your reward. <laughs> but how, how much better to do things for God that nobody else sees? The left hand, right hand stuff, right? But great is your reward in heaven when we serve, when we serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And one of the things that Christians are prohibited from doing is lending encouragement to false teachers. And many people struggle with these verses because they, they, they do seem unkind and a little bit harsh. How can you be so cruel, Paul? Aren't we supposed to be kind and loving to everybody? Now, it's important to understand the context here. The early church practiced hospitality differently than we do because they didn't have many hotels or inns like in our society today. The places that were available were mostly of ill repute. You know what I mean. So when a travelling teacher came to town, he had to stay with one of the church families, church members. Unfortunately, a Christian family might give lodging and encourage someone whose ultimate purpose is to destroy your faith and that of your church, to undermine the work of the leaders. And this is why at times truth in love has to make tough choices by saying, no, you're not welcome. You're not staying in my place. Now this is very different to the letter 3 John where the Instruction is different. But here, it is, it is, it's very direct. Now, one attempted intrusion might be when the JWs or the Mormons knock on your door for a conversation. What you don't want to do is encourage them in any way. Or worse, have weekly Bible studies in your house with them because they happen to be so nice and so genuine. What they are really doing is spreading heresy and we are to have no part in it. Well, maybe you think, and it's, it's good if you think this way, maybe you think you might be able to sway them your way. But this is dangerous and you need to be well equipped, equipped and very careful. It's especially concerning if you don't give too much regard for doctrine. You're not very well versed in what the scripture teaches. 
Let me tell you that those who belong to these cults are very well-versed. They know what they believe and they know what you believe. They know the scriptures backwards and they have their own version of the scriptures and their own set of texts and books. So when I'm saying prepared is be prepared. I've had the situation where some of the flock in my church have said, oh, Pastor, can you come? Because I've got some... Some Mormons that are turning up, I don't know what to say to them. Well, why did you invite them? Why did you let them in? Oh, just come and and talk to them, please. Oh, goodness. And I'm not necessarily saying, well, you, you do need to understand what they believe. But more importantly, you need to understand, you need to be very well-versed in what the Scripture teaches. The truth of Scripture that has been handed down to us for thousands of years. I don't want you to be so well-versed in JWs and Mormons that you forget about what the Scripture teaches. But you need to understand what their ploy is and where they diverge and go different directions. And I'm just naming two of them. There's many more, Christadelphians and others. To our shame, to our shame, most people in evangelical churches these days simply don't consider doctrine to be all that important. Except when it is. But there is another dangerous intrusion that can happen and that is through multimedia. There is a vast array of material and information out there, huge amount. Sadly, there is also an incredible volume of misinformation. Taking notes to check what they are saying is one thing, but having a daily devotional given to you by Benny Hinn or T.D. Jakes or Joel Austin or Bill Johnson is, I start to worry. Even some of the old trusted sites like Christianity Today, I, yeah, I start to worry. We need discernment lest we end up supporting that which will weaken rather than strengthen our faith. And it would be very wrong to say that I am, as your pastor, the repository of all truth, that this church is the only true church, the Baptist church in our denomination. And there's nothing else in Liverpool that you can find. We are the ones. I'll start to sound just like a cult. Or a cultic leader, if I say that. This is why it is important to seek to support and have fellowship and teaching with like-minded brothers and sisters, like-minded churches who preach the true word in season and out of season and when the opportunity arises that we cooperate with them and help each other to spread the word to outreach into our community. 
we can and we should work together with brothers and sisters from other denominations as long as we agree on the truth. And so let's remember that the main culprits here are false teachers, not other Christians. These are the, the ones who are, are really the main culprits are the ones who are spreading this. Now, we are to welcome and have fellowship with other believers with whom we might have some lesser disagreements. Because this is what Romans 14.1 says. It says, Accept him who is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Your disputable matters are different to my disputable, disputable matters. And, and I will feel stronger about some issues and you might feel stronger about other issues. But what we need to do is agree on fundamental doctrinal issues, the core stuff. We are not going to be splitting hairs on non-core issues. And this is where we get controversial because what I consider a non-core issue could be a core issue for you. And there are some debates going on. It's been going on for a while. King James Version versus New International Version. Amillennial versus premillennial. Um, it goes on. Cessationist versus continuous. And the reason we disagree on some of these matters is because we include them as part of our core beliefs and we feel more passionate about some issues than, than others. So we need to, as the Apostle Paul, accept him who is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So obviously the Apostle Paul knew exactly what we cannot compromise on. John and another of the Apostles, the same thing. But we need to agree on the core and then on the other stuff, disputable matters. There's a story. This is not a true story, okay? Just laying it out there. A man was walking in San Francisco on the Golden Gate Bridge when he saw a man about to jump off. He tried to dissuade him from committing suicide and told him simply that God loved him. He got teary. He then asked him, are you a Christian, a Jew, a Hindu or what? And he said, I'm a Christian. He then said, me too, small world, Protestant or Catholic? And he answered, Protestant. The man said, me too, what denomination? He responded, Baptist. Me too, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? And he asked, Northern Baptist? Well, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? And he says, Northern Conservative Baptist. Well, that's amazing. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist or Northern Conservative Reform Baptist? And he said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist. Man, that is remarkable. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern Region? And he says, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region. The man was ecstatic. A miracle. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, 
Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region of 1912. And he yelled at him, Die, heretic! (laughs) And he pushed him over the rail. You see, there is a difference between disagreeing over the timing of the rapture and denying that Jesus is the Son of God, is there not? There are fundamental doctrines like the five solars that are like strategic pieces in the game of Jenga. You know the game of Jenga, right? The moment you pull out one of these, the whole structure crumbles down. Now, John didn't have a game of Jenga to tell us about it, but what he does, like Paul, is illustrated from a a race uh, running. He says, anyone, in verse 9, he says, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The thought here is is a runner who, going ahead of themselves, is far ahead that he... It goes off track altogether. And not only that, but the other runners start following him who's way off the marked course because that just changes the whole nature of the whole race. Let's also be careful not to misinterpret John's word in, in another area. Nothing he writes is meant to forbid us from having unsaved friends, non-Christian friends. How else can we win the lost unless we befriend them one by one? Remember that Jesus was called, what? He was called a friend of sinners. He didn't do what they did, but he was still their friend. You can hardly win the lost and lead them to truth if you don't know them and have no contact with them. This, is what, this therefore leads me to the final point, sharing the truth, verses 12 to 13. Sharing the truth. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper or an ink. Instead, I, I hope to visit you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister who is chosen by God send their greetings. Knowing the truth, walking the truth, protecting the truth is is still not enough unless we are willing to share the truth, not hoard it for ourselves but to give it, to share it. And this was John's purpose all along when he wrote his gospel and his letters and, and By divine providence, we had these inspired writings that were not destroyed through the persecutions and the different burnings because they used to do this all the time, burn the scrolls, burn the Christians, the scrolls and all their material. And these were preserved for us. And so they were preserved at a great cost. Preserved so that they could share this truth and that is passed on to others from one generation to the next. In his gospel, John says in chapter 1, verse 3, 
That which I have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you as a witness, first-hand witness. And the Apostle Paul used another expression, 1 Corinthians 15.3, For what I have received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. He does the same thing with the Lord's Supper, right? What I received, I'm passing on. It's passing on the baton, the teaching. This is how it works, sharing the truth. And as good as it is to share the truth through his letters, he actually prefers to do it in person, face to face. Man, I just want to be there with you guys. I want to share this this moment. I want to experience the joy of of fellowship with one another so we can encourage and build one another up. I'm, I'm writing now, but that is not good enough. In our technological age, as as good and necessary at times as it is to watch us through multimedia and internet, it is not the same thing as doing it face to face, is it? With our brothers and sisters here together. Furthermore, furthermore, It is possible that in the future, particularly when a lot of the giant multimedia companies are not really very supportive of Christian doctrine, it is possible that in the future, with a simple flick of a switch, these same media platforms will prohibit Christian content from being used on their platform for it being deemed offensive. That could come. And it could be sooner rather than later. So what are we going to do then? Well, we have to go back to basics. Just like the early church, the early Christians, and how the gospel has spread for the last 2,000 years at great cost. In the meantime, let's encourage one another by meeting together as Ted reminded us from Hebrews, that our joy may be complete. And let's continue to share the gospel by whatever means with those who need to hear it. Let's all, let's use whatever method at our disposal that we can win some and win them over to the truth of Jesus Christ. May God help us. Amen.